Are you looking for continuing education from a Canadian provider? Executive Links has almost 200 webinars to choose from on many topics, including med surge, critical care, geriatrics, peds, mental health, and more. Each webinar is $35 and includes handouts, a certificate of completion, and the option to watch live and on demand for at least a year. Save 15% for the rest of 2022 on any topic. Just use code GRITTY at checkout. Visit execulinks.net to register. That's E-X-E-C-U-L-I-N-K-S dot net. Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of the Greeners Podcast. And thank you for listening to us every week, coming in and tuning in. And this week, we have a really special guest. I'm really excited to talk about her, to to share her story, and and really hope to shed some light on um, some of these, these conditions in terms of long COVID. I'm so thankful for the guests that we have today. I think on the Gritty Nurse podcast, we always talk about bringing different perspectives, amplifying the voices of those who have been silenced. And uh, this person really is a warrior. That's what I want to call her, a warrior for what she's gone through and what she's done in terms of sharing her story. So without further ado, I would like to introduce Tracy and I will let her tell us a little bit about herself. (laughs) <laughs> so um yeah my name's uh, tracy and um previous to contracting covid i was working as a chef a fun pretty high energy physically demanding mentally demanding job you know we've all seen the tv show so you know lots of running around lots of keeping things in your head oftentimes when people find out i have long covid um they'll say well what were your pre-existing conditions? Were you sick before? Were you know, so all of the sort of typical things where people kind of try to minimize the possibility of this happening in their lives. Like, what can I do to dis- to, to distance myself from from you know being in the crosshairs of this type of thing? So you know, um, I was definitely I kind of like a um, you know work hard, uh, long hours, lots of energy. I had a beautiful dog that was like a great Dane greyhound that we you know spent my time off uh, running around you know pretty balanced pretty decent very active lifestyle and I live alone maybe you could even tell us a little bit about what it was like being a chef like tell us a little bit about what that looked like because I mean we didn't even know that that's super oh. <laughs> cool right that's like really awesome and and of course yeah 
Yeah, I'm 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 one of the very few people that started working in the restaurant industry sort of later in life. I didn't start working in, in restaurants until I was in my 30s. Previous to that, I was a children's book specialist, which is also oh, wow. an awesome job. I'm very lucky. <laughs> I've had like two great jobs. I sort I fell into it by accident. It's kind of a joke where I was talking to another chef friend of mine who was like, oh my my you know, people are trying to tell me I'm an adrenaline junkie. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not. And I'm like, how do you feel when the kitchen is slow? And they're like, I'm really, really bored. And I'm like, and how do you feel when the kitchen gets slammed? And they're like, it's so great. It's energizing. I'm like, yeah, that's an adrenaline junkie. You know, I'm not, I can't, I'm not good at sitting down. I'm not, I, I tried desk jobs a couple of times and it made me feel, you know, a little bit like I was like a dog at a window all day. Let me out of here. I got to do something. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of cooking is a lot of, it's a lot of fun. You know, if you're really enjoying it, if you work at a good shop, um, you know, there's the creative side of it, there's the math side of it, and then there's the physical side of it. And it's, for me, it was just fantastic. It was like this great, very satisfying match. I love food. I love to feed people. You know, I want to give, you know, it's like, oh, look at the weather. It was kind of a joke because usually sometime around the first week of February, I would always run like this like super green soup because I knew that nobody had been eating a vegetable like there after the holidays, nobody had like sat down with vegetables for a really long time. So, true. so I would like put it on the menu and then I would hear people in the, in the room being like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I needed. I'm like, that's right. You guys have not been eating your greens. So, you know, that was real. It was a lot of satisfaction. Really right, right, right. It's fun, funny that you bring up the adrenaline because I think a lot of nurses feel the exact same way. Right. Like, especially if you work in labor and delivery like Amy and I did or you work in Emerge, the unpredictability and just not knowing what you're going to get is actually what we live for. And I know a lot of nurses have trouble also transitioning to office type jobs because it's just so different than what we're used to. It's a different kind of stress, like deadlines. It's like, oh my God, I got to type on this keyboard, not I have to save somebody or I have to perform CPR. So I know it's different than cooking but in the sense it's like the personalities that get drawn to those types of jobs cooking is a i mean you know it's it's like it is high stress but lives are not at stake so you guys are amazing <laughs> well i mean there's fires sometimes in the kitchen i don't know i've watched too much of uh, kitchen nightmares oh it's no true. kitchen nightmares <laughs> yeah but you know it, it's it's very interesting because i think one of the things that we've read about you and 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 kind of learned was you know with what you've been saying with you know having that type of a job of being very fast paced being very busy and and you know there's a lot of complexity in your work it's almost heartbreaking to hear like i, I don't want to give your story away, you're going to tell your story, but it's almost heartbreaking to hear the change in, in what has happened in your life since you, you actually had COVID. So, so Tracy, would you mind telling us when did you contract COVID and um, how did you get COVID? I didn't believe it when it happened. Um, it's still kind of shocking to me. I was uh, finishing up work, you know, I closed down my kitchen, so it was nighttime and um, I was on my way home and I, I saw a person, uh, I live in Parkdale. So, you know, it's generally, well, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's people around all the time, you know, there's always people on the street. Um, there's all kinds of people on the street. So I was, I was on Queen street, um, with lots of traffic and I saw this person and I, I thought late enough at night, they may have had a couple of drinks. I'm not sure. So I was walking by them and I'm not a nervous person and I'm used to my neighborhood. So, you know, I gave them a big smile and was like sort of looking at them to make sure that they were okay. And mm-hmm. they made eye contact with me and then they grabbed me. And so this is about, this was um, the second week of March, basically, just 
the first week of March, sorry, I'm getting a little bit confused. The first week of March, the end of the first week of March, and they grabbed me and I went to pull back and they, you know, had me, they grabbed me by my shirt collar and then they coughed in my face and then they ran their hands all over me um, and shook me as I was trying to get away and they kept coughing and then they laughed and they said, you're sick now, you're sick now. And I was like, well, you know, uh, you know, then they let go of me and I kind of scooted off. It was scary, but it wasn't like they didn't punch me or, you know, they just kind of shook me around a little bit. And I thought, you know, this is someone who thinks it's funny. They just wanted to be aggressive. They see this, you know, lone woman walking down the street and they think it's their time to be like hilarious by being, you know, frightening. Like it was obviously meant to frighten me. That was my take. It was like, they, it was like, not like being catcalled, but like similar to that sort of like engagement where there was like, okay, I have a chance to make this, this person, this woman walking alone feel very uncomfortable and they did their job. And so I kind of brushed it off. You know, I went home and I washed my face and mouthwash and I was like, okay. And, and I got in touch with a friend and I was like, you don't believe what happened to me. And I went and, and sort of, you know, laughed about it. I was nervous. I was really shook up, but then I didn't, I didn't think much more of it. I thought it was like just a weird sort of Parkdale incident. Maybe the person had been drinking. Maybe they had some mental health issues, you know, because some people said to me, oh, did you call the police? And I'm like, oh, like this person wasn't a clear and present danger to anybody. There was no real, what I perceive as a real threat at that moment. And then a few days later, <laughs> um, I got my first symptom. And I had taken, I had taken a few days off from work because it was my birthday week. So... I had already had the weekend off as part of my regular schedule, so I took an extra day off. So basically, I'd gone home. I wasn't really in contact with anybody. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go to any parties. Um, I was supposed to meet friends for my birthday um, on the weekend, and I had a bit of a sore throat. And I said, you know, I don't know if I want to risk it, because at this point, you know, all we're hearing is, like, the virus is coming. Two days before what ended up being lockdown at the time. So it was very, very present danger where I had been like sanitizing everything and wearing gloves and like walking around and, you know, cleaning surfaces nonstop um, and doing everything that I thought was the right thing to do to stay safe. And yeah, so when my symptoms started, they were pretty mild, but I thought, oh, let's just be on the safe side. And I didn't go and meet up with my friends for my birthday. And I have been sick ever since. Wow. I'm so sorry, first of all, Tracy, to hear that story. It sounds... I mean, you were traumatized. I feel like this was a traumatic event. And it's just really, really unfortunate that this has happened to you and that, you know, I don't know who this person was, but I'm assuming you never saw them again. So there's no closure to that. But this has been, their actions have been really ongoing for a long time. So I'm sorry to hear that. Obviously, there was malice in this, but I don't think that the person thought that it would ever lead to something like this. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. people were dying, so that I maybe should take that back. But I, I, I don't know. I have no idea what they expected the outcome to be. I don't know. I don't have any... Um, it, that's not something I think about very much. Like, I talk about it because for a long time... I didn't talk about it, not because it was it was disturbing to me, but because it seemed... I, it wasn't until I realized that people were kind of like, oh my goodness. I'm like, oh yeah, that is actually quite disturbing. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, probably let yeah. people know this. Um, it's not something I dwell on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't think about mm -hmm. this person. I hope that they are, genuinely hope that they are okay. I don't really have a vengeful spirit. Um, I hope they didn't do it to anybody else, a one-off. I don't know what they were thinking. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, thank you for sharing that with us and with our listeners, Tracy. I think um, first thing I want to say to you is like, I'm I'm really sorry that that happened. I, I don't really have any other words than that should have never happened to you. That's unacceptable. That's also, uh, I think this is another th- topic that we talk about a lot on our podcast where we talk about, you know, violence towards women. And although you didn't take that on as, you know, that particular or and that you don't have malice, um, that still is violence towards women, right? Like, I mean, the fact that you were targeted, that the fact that um, there's probably other underlying things, but at the end of the day, this individual, whomever this was, decided to choose you, not a male, you as a yes. woman, and and do this to you, right? I think, um, yeah, that's something that has to be called out. That they perceived as vulnerable and that, you know, was without protections. And so yeah. that, I'm sure, you know, I can say that that was... It wasn't like there was nobody else on the street. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm incredibly sorry that that happened to you and it's, it's definitely not right at all. Yeah. So, so maybe, um, so what happened then between the time where you start to get the sore throat and the symptoms to where, I mean, maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about what happened after that. Like, did you have to go to the hospital? So my, um, after, you know, my, it started with the sore throat, of course. So that's like the, the first big clue. And then, um, and I'm hearing about this a lot now with the with the latest sort of variants coming on. My initial symptoms were primarily gastrointestinal. I didn't have like, you know, I didn't, I wasn't congested. I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of like the early sort of signifiers that we were supposed to look for, but I knew that I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, I hung back. I stayed tight. I stayed in my house. Um, I didn't have any contact with anybody. And then I just kept getting weaker. Um, you know, I was having like rolling fevers, not consistent fevers, but like peaks and valleys of fevers all throughout the day. I'm pretty sure I was somewhat delusional (laughs) at points. And so I reached out to telehealth, you know, so it was like, what do I, how do I proceed? Because we were hearing our hospitals are going to be, we can't overrun our hospitals. You know, our healthcare, you know, uh, providers need to, you know, be not overwhelmed. We need to make sure that we take care of them first, all the testing, all that stuff. So I called telehealth and I was like, what do I do? These are the symptoms that we're having. I hadn't left the country. I hadn't been in contact with a confirmed case. So the advice was, unless you're um, in extreme distress, stay home, write it out. You'll be fine in a couple of weeks. That's what I tried to do. And when did you start to realize that this was more than just because I know that some people, they have COVID, you know, in a couple of weeks, they recovered, as you mentioned, that um, you got the advice from telehealth. When did you realize that this was something more, that you were starting to have some long-term mental or physical side effects? Not only was I not getting better, you know, I was getting, um, I mean, I was getting worse, right? and, but not in a way that was like that sort of acute, oh my goodness, you got to go to the hospital. Um, you know, I was having difficulty breathing, but not extreme difficulty breathing, right? So I was, it was belabored breathing. There was, again, rolling fevers, you know, headache, um, not feeling myself, the sore throat, the gastrointestinal issues. And so they weren't improving. So I think I reached out to telehealth one more time um, without any, you know, basically I told the same thing. Like, it's like, oh, you just one of the unlucky people, like, you're not in crisis, you'll be fine. And then I was eating some chicken soup and from one mouthful, I was like, oh, delicious chicken soup. And then the next mouthful, nothing, no taste, no smell, like a, like a light switch went off. And so that's when I was like, this is terrifying. 
because it was obvious to me when people were like, oh, you lose your sense of taste and smell. And it's like, well, you're congested. Of course you lose your sense of taste and smell. But this was like absolute and instantaneous. And um, I was like, oh, this is my, this is my brain. Like something in my, something neurological has just snapped. This, these sensations, they're just, it's the sense, the, both of these senses have just disappeared. And I think that was my first real sort of like, like the creeping fear. <laughs> like, why is this happening so far from my initial symptoms? Like it had been a few weeks. Wow. Uh, and, and again, it was, it was profound. So at that point I decided you know, as telehealth said, you know, we can't, we're not, we're, at that point, early on, they weren't testing people, saving the tests. I was like, oh, I'm just going to try this anyway. So I went to, um, I thought, I'm just going to risk it and someone can tell me something. So I went and I went to emerge at Mount Sinai and it was suggested to be that it might be menopause. <laughs> that wow. Was problem. That was a little oh distressing. And I was like, okay, well, No. <laughs> Uh, you know if that's the case people need to get a lot more time off for that um but uh, right (laughs) not a functioning person right now it was extremely difficult to try and get any kind of validation for what was going on and to figure out why um, my condition sort of continued to deteriorate because I was just getting weaker you know less capable Um, there would be like a couple of hours where I would be like oh maybe this is over like I was like this is going to end any second I really Long COVID didn't exist in my mind. I didn't know there was no idea of that, which is why it's always interesting to me when people say, oh, it's just psychological. It's like, I didn't, it didn't have a name. It didn't exist. Right. You know, there wasn't mm-hmm. anything for me to latch onto. Like I believed that I would be better at any minute, any minute I was going to wake up and feel relieved and then get back to work. And it was going to be great, which I mean, honestly, I might have, I might've delayed my response in seeking care because I just was like, Obviously, if it doesn't, you know, either you're over it in two weeks or you end up in the hospital. Neither of those things have happened. So I'm somewhere in the middle, but right. I'm not in crisis. So I just was doing the thing and waiting it out and, you know, eating well and taking my vitamin C and, and hoping for the best. And it just, it got worse. I developed some pretty serious, uh, that's not anaphylactic, but some a pretty extensive food allergies where I started reacting to things. I started, I was reacting to whatever the filler was in my vitamin C supplements, like any kind of like, I had to stop taking vitamins because I would have allergic reactions to things. I have about five different kinds of rashes that I have photographs of, um, and breathing issues, um, you know, fevers. Um, every time I ate, I would be ill. So it was like, this is not getting better. This is getting worse and worse and worse my ability to my energy levels were bad and I was like okay I'm 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 falling to pieces and that's when I sort of it's when I went online and I'm like okay where where where's where y'all at (laughs) I can't be alone um right and 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 trying to find people trying to find any kind of mention of this and so at that point you know people across the globe groups are springing up and being like okay this is a thing I'm not getting better I'm not getting better I'm not getting better and you see Uh, popping up all over the place so that was it wasn't a great feeling but it was good to know that you know nothing happens to just one person you know healthcare like health wise right like it's just there's there's nobody who's like the singularity um but it was still very frustrating trying to get um any kind of healthcare um because of a this didn't exist b we're in the middle of a pandemic you know hospitals are overrun doctors like everybody everybody has been stretched nobody knows exactly what's going on it's a brand new yeah. 
condition. So um, it took me and foolish me because <laughs> I'm like, I'm a chef and I don't know if you know anything about, uh, you know, restaurant culture, but self-care is not one of our greatest uh, attributes. Oh, yeah. All about Similarities all around. We're <laughs> so, horrible at self-care. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to push through this. It's going to be great. Right. So that kind of attitude. So like, you know, and so I didn't have a family doctor. So it's like, well, if I, you know, I never say I'm great, you know, it'll be fine. Right. I just didn't occur to me. It's like, you know, uh, you cut your hand, get out some saran wrap and get on with your day so I was right. in a I was in a poor position personally because I just didn't have anybody who had a uh, knew my medical history who could look at me and go like hey this isn't like you so I, I you know I, that was that was that was unfortunate for me personally um, as things moved along the summer went by I read some notes uh, in a notebook that I had made because I was trying to track my symptoms and I read some notes in this notebook that I'm keeping and it was predominantly gibberish you know I was kind of out of my mind I was not holding up well and then in August uh that's when my cardiac issue started so that's when things became wow. a little more urgent where I was um having arrhythmias and 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 tachycardias just like picking up a glass of water you know my heart rate would just go through the roof um and I had wow. an extended uh, an extended like it was about 36 hours of, of like uh, of, you know, a really elevated heart rate and arrhythmias. And I was like, uh, I call, I called telehealth. And I was like, this is what's going on. And when I described what was happening to me, they're like, yeah, we're sending an ambulance. So I'm like, what? Like, I still had this sort of like this. Oh no. I was like, you're sending an ambulance? And I'm like, oh, oh okay. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I went down and I, I walked down and met the ambulance and they put me in the ambulance and took, you know, my vitals and whatever, and then closed the back door. And again, still in this ridiculous state, I was like, where, what's going on? They're like, we're taking you to the hospital. Where are you like, oh, taking you're actually, me? Yeah, you're actually, like, I thought that they were going to be like, <laughs> oh, you need no. to relax, go home and have a cup of tea. Like I was still expecting not to be, not just not to be taken seriously, but I don't think that I was taking, I don't think that I was understanding I think that I was too unwell to know how unwell I was. Right. You mm -hmm. didn't understand the severity of your illness. Yeah. Because yeah. I've been sort of in this sort of fevered dream state for months on end. And I didn't realize how bad things had gotten. And they were like, yeah, this isn't good. Um, that's when what kind of my journey towards um, seeking care, the little that there is available, sort of began in earnest. And they're like, you know, you need a family doctor. We're going to, I got referred to the uh, acute ambulatory care at women's hospital and so went in there and sort of started a battery of, of of testing and trying to figure out exactly what what is going on with me so yeah so like based on all of what you've said to like where are you today so you you kind of went through this journey where you weren't too sure what was happening yeah. found out through all of the like you, you start having these various different types of symptoms and now you're at the place where you're you're actually hospitalized so when when did the words like post-covid-19 syndrome or long covid come out like when when did those that diagnosis come to fruition honestly for me like obviously I you know I had been online and looking for people and looking in support groups for me it was relatively early on you know I was like okay this is not normal there's an, an extended period of like illness that's happening to me so for me it was fairly early um I would say you know by the end of April May I was I knew something was wrong again I'm not recognizing how wrong but something was definitely wrong mm -hmm. um 
And then as far as once I started going into the, the AACU at Women's College, I think that's when that, you know, so probably August, September of 2020 mm-hmm. was when it was like, okay, this is a kind of thing that we're looking at as far as naming is a post-COVID, long COVID, long haul, you know, all the things that have been 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 bandied about. So I guess, yeah, probably September of 2020 was like sort of an official doctor stamp on it where those words were used. And um, did you did you accept early on that you had long COVID or were you still not quite sure for a while? No, no, I, yeah, I had definitely accepted that I had long COVID. I just hadn't accepted the sort of the severity of the consequences. I knew that I wasn't well. I knew I wasn't well. I moved as though I wasn't well, you know, I... I did things to sort of, you know, stay resting and stay hydrated and, you know, and was keeping up in long COVID groups online to see what I could do to sort of improve my situation. I just didn't realize for, like, never occurred to me that I would be in this position 25 months later, not all, you know, this was extended. Yeah. I was like, it's kind of like laughing now. I remember looking at notes from like, it's been nine weeks. And I'm like, oh, ha ha, you're just so naive. And, um, um, but I, and I, yeah, I didn't realize the length of time that this, you know, might, might take. And I didn't realize, yeah, I just, again, I just didn't, I knew I was sick. I just didn't realize how sick I was. Sick you were. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That was the denial part. Yeah. We were all kind of thinking the same thing about COVID in general, but um, I'm just wondering, like you talked a lot about your physical symptoms. Have you had any sort of mental uh, symptoms out of, out of COVID? I'm going to sort of divide them up. <laughs> it's like the sort of the cognitive and then the emotional. And so both, absolutely. Emotionally, and I've, I've definitely seen this happen now that I've sort of been living in this world a little bit longer and meeting new people that have, you know, were like, I think I might have long COVID. And level of extreme depression and extreme anxiety that takes hold of people and that I went through. I mean, it was... Uh, I've never experienced anything like it. It was, again, this was early on, but like definite like um, suicidal ideations and then just like like hand tremoring anxiety, like just sitting and vibrating and being like, I don't even know how I can exist like this. Just a level of physical fear that I, you know, and I've, I've, I've dealt with anxiety before. You know, we have all gone through ups and downs. This was unbelievable. Didn't know that I could survive with that amount of like stress. It was all encompassing and it is something that is still definitely comes in, in waves. And I would say that for the extended group of people that I know that are going through this, that, you know, you're sort of, this is not a good time. It's unpleasant. It's, it's boring. It's scary and you're sick. And so, yeah, of course you're going to feel bad. And then every now and then this wave will crash into you where it's, everything is bleak, you know, where everything is pointless. And so, um, and then, you know, definitely in the early stages with newer people, because I, I belong to um, a Zoom group that kind of runs, these people are just like a drop-in room. So people will come in and you know when they come in for the first time and they're sort of, they haven't talked to anybody or nobody understands what they're going through and they just sort of unload like a, you know, a dump of information, you know, and we're all kind of, and, and we have to kind of stop them and be like, we know that you're feeling this anxious and this depressed and that is part of the cycle of this illness. So let's just let you know that those things are true. And yes, it's totally reasonable for you to feel bad because this is a terrible thing. That, but this is also, there's a, it kind of hijacks you. It hijacks your like yeah. emotional state. Wow. It hijacks your, I can't think of the word, sorry, I lose words sometimes, but it's like, it, it's completely different than anything I've ever experienced. And I've seen so many people go through it. And then 
you know, mentally, um, not as sharp. <laughs> uh, I can't read, I can't read books anymore. Um, I can't really read anything past a couple of paragraphs without it becoming either physically painful or I just can't remember. I can't uh, retain information the same. You know, I mentioned I used to work in kids' books. Reading was what I did for, you know, part of my job. I don't know if you can remember the old Twilight Zone about a guy who was very excited about the end of the world coming and he just wanted to sit and read books in a library and then he steps on his glasses. It's kind of like being that person. It's like, oh, you oh, just man. had to spend all of these months in bed and you're thinking, I'm going to catch up on my reading. And it's like, no, you're not. You can't. You're physically not capable. The information doesn't stay in your brain and... There's a lot of comparisons being drawn between like the effects of COVID on the brain and a traumatic brain injury where things like seeing wow. and hearing are suddenly become taxing experiences. You know, there's, I've gone through wow. extreme sound sensitivity, light sensitivity, the phantom smells. That was just a horrific episode that lasted a few months. Yeah. So like a lot of people experience smelling cigarette smoke. I was uh, convinced that there was dog feces. I had, like I said, I had a dog. She's now living with other people because I cannot physically take care of her right now. So I was like, oh, it smells like the dog has had an accident. So I spent days like crawling around my apartment. And the worst one, strangely enough, was, and it lasted for such a long time, was the smell of pine saw, which is something oh, I've never oh had God. in my house. I've like, never used it in my house. I don't wow. have it in my house. And it was that acrid, acidic, you know, it's a big smell if you've ever smelled it. And it was just relentless. Um, and that's, again, you know, that's not, that's not being congested. There's like a wiring is offline. Yeah, lots of emotional, lots of cognitive, lots of neural skin, you know, pretty much anything that you could think of, whatever it is that COVID does, because we don't understand the mechanism yet, it is very opportunistic. You know, it's going to find whatever nook and cranny, if there's a weakness, it's going to exploit it. If you have a propensity towards something, it's going to blow it up. Absolutely horrible. It's like horrifying. <laughs> there are other people that are experiencing this as well. Like you mentioned that there are support groups and thankfully that there are people that are around talking about it. And and I have to be honest, like I didn't actually hear very much about long COVID. Like I think a lot of the attention has been focused on people who get the diagnosis, have COVID, what happens with their, you know, acute stay in the ICU and then that's it. But there's not a lot of conversation about the debilitating after effects of, you know, the post COVID-19 syndrome or long COVID. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here to shed a light on that. And, you know, one of the things that I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, going through this entire process, hearing about your symptoms, hearing about how it's affected you, what are some of the supports you have received? So you mentioned that you were able to go to a group, what are some of the supports that you haven't received? So tell us a little bit about what your experience has been in terms of, you know, the support you have or have not received in terms of this diagnosis. It has become a very isolating experience. You know, initially, again, most of the most of the conversation is around acute COVID. And that makes sense. You know, people are in crisis. People are, you know, out there trying to save lives and, and minimize the damage. I think it's very difficult for people to, you know, understand what this means. When people talk about long COVID, you hear people say things like fatigue and brain fog. And it all sounds very sort of, you know, melancholy. Like I'm going to be in some Edwardian day bed, you know, while somebody brings me clear broth and I'm slightly under right. the weather. Not um, something that is, you know, 
profoundly disabling. So I think that the way that it's been reported hasn't given people a complete picture of how dangerous it, it, it can be. And I, I, I feel like, um, so I'm sitting, I'm talking to you, and I feel like our relationship with sort of chronic illness in general, like at large, and disability, and, you know, invisible disabilities, or dynamic disabilities, where it's like, so this is going to be my whole day. I spent the whole day lying in bed, making sure, you know, I had some broth, and I, you know, I prepared for expending this energy for tonight. Um, so it looks like, and great, right? But, you know, we can't live our lives like two out of 24 hours a day and call ourselves functioning people. So I just want everybody to know right. that, you know, even though I'm sitting here talking and having a grand old time, um, this is it. This is my whole day. This is the day. Wow. It's like, stay hydrated. Um, make sure you've got some nourishment, do this and then lie down. So I just, I don't want to give anybody sort of a false impression of whatever. And I just want to say to you, I'm about the middle of, I consider myself to be middle of the pack as far as, this goes, um, you know, there are people who are in better shape than I am, who are more ambulatory, who can sort of work from home part-time or can work part-time. And then, you know, I have other people uh, in, that I know that are, you know, were too weak to digest their own food, you know, who are on nasogastric feeders, that their bodies mm -hmm. just cannot produce enough energy to get energy. And that's, wow. like, that's you know, um, there's people who can only talk when they are lying down because they don't have the energy to stand up, you know, they don't have the brain power or however it works to stand up and speak at the same time, you know, so they can talk when they're lying down or they can stand up, but they can't do both. You know, there are people who've been hospitalized for almost a year. And so you sort of get into like another thing people don't know much about is like sort of post-viral illness territory where we're talking about people with like ME and other sort of, you know, disabling illnesses. I think I've, lo I've lost track of where you No, I mean, everything what you're saying is actually important. I think there, like this whole conversation is eye-opening, at least for me. I, I, I'm sure it is for Sarah as well. And I think we were just kind of, you know, what more support do you think we should have? Like, I think this conversation is hugely important. And I really hope that we can blow this up and get a lot of get a lot more attention to this because I don't think there's a, enough attention paid to what's happening with people who are having this, like yourself, Trace, who's experiencing this. And it it sounds really, really scary. And I think one of the things that I want people to know is we keep hearing people say things like, oh, you know, it's just a cold. COVID's just a cold. It's it's not that serious. It sounds, if you, if you don't mind me swearing, it sounds pretty fucking serious. It's pretty fucking like it sounds, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds pretty fucking serious. And, and I think that, you know, the fact that, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, you have a 99% chance of living. Okay, well, you may live and you may survive having COVID-19. But hearing what you're experiencing doesn't sound great. It sounds really fucking awful. And it's, I think this is where we're, we're trying to push people to have these conversations. It is grim. And um, I can't remember this. Um, someone on Twitter, Van Miguel, I don't know how to pronounce Fang. I can't, you, I, I, I can't remember. I have no, I've it's never said the words out loud, <laughs> but one of the things that they said was, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll probably live, but do you know how sick you can get before you die? There's a lot of things between, wow. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's a big gap between dying and, and, and all of the rest of the things that can happen to you. I think that people confuse like this long COVID, this prolonged illness, this, uh, with 
I like to disambiguate. I like to, to make a difference between post-COVID and long COVID. So if you're, if you get acute COVID and you're hospitalized and, you know, it trashes your lungs and, and sort of the things we've come to expect from an acute COVID infection, you will be sick for a while afterwards. You will need help getting back to your baseline. You might need rehab. You, might, you know, there's a lot of physical things that you might need trouble with. And we're, at this point, people are working really hard to make sure that those supports are in place. You know, we're seeing one of the difficulties is that there's a split. There are people like me that got mild COVID, you know, that weren't hospitalized, that didn't have acute, um, an, an acute episode, the way that we think about it, who, you know, has ended up being more ill for a longer period of time than if I was in the first category. And when I see the majority of the COVID clinics that are opening up here uh, in Canada and across the States and Britain, because I keep an eye on all these things, um, the majority of them are for people in the first category. So it says, oh, we deal with long COVID and what they're actually dealing with is post COVID. And long COVID is separate and needs to be investigated and treated separately than post COVID does. Post COVID is like you had COVID, you did some terrible things to your body, you're in very rough shape, Here's how we're going to help you get back to your baseline. And long COVID is something that is continues to happen to you. Right, right. That's a really important distinction. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I didn't have cardiac sy- symptoms until I was five and a half months in. My mm-hmm. um, sound sensitivity uh, issues didn't start until probably 18 months in. So whatever this is, or whatever the mechanism it's like, and I'm not saying, you know, because some people are like, it's a post, you know, you've got like a viral reservoir or it's, you know, it's ME, which, you know, it might be at this point. And, 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 but it's a separate, it's a, it's a separate category and there is no, yeah, again, it's not like a thing happened and then we have to deal with the damage. And this is people with, in my category are definitely whatever it is, it's still happening to me. So it's really very frustrating people to say that they recommend things like, oh, you know, you grade it, like, you know, you do, you've got to get out and walk, go for a walk, which will absolutely, um, the last time I went out and went for a long walk, which was uh, sometime in 2020, I couldn't get up for about six weeks. You know, I do, I mean, I do, obviously, you don't, you know, if you can avoid being, you know, lying in bed all day, that's always a good thing, you know, to walk around the house or go for a five minute walk. Like, I'm aware of those things. And I I stay as active as that's the wrong word, but, you know, I do everything I can to sort of minimize the, the effects of being primarily bed and housebound, but this is not done. You know, I don't always know if a new symptom is going to suddenly appear. Like I said, with the sound sensitivity, which is now mostly gone, or with the light sensitivity, which is now mostly gone, or will I be able to, you know, I can maybe read a couple of things, like a, a couple of you know, a few paragraphs or a a magazine article one day. And then, you know, a couple of hours later, my vision is blurry. So it's the, the aftercare, all of the supports are being thrown into this one basket and the other basket, the basket that I'm in is, is sort of empty. Again, people, you know, it's not a recognized disability. It's not. And I think it's hard for people to understand exactly. I don't, there's nothing anybody could say that was good to describe this to me that would make me understand what this feels like. You know, the battery reference is good, uh, you know, like an uncharged battery, but uh, it is difficult to think like, oh, I feel pretty good today. So I took a bath and mm-hmm. then that bath made me sick or, you know, that bath gave me a fever or it made me nauseous or it made me not able to wow. pick up a glass of water. Like, I, you know, I went from quite literally 
shouldering 50 pound bags of potatoes and running up the stairs with them to not being able to hold my phone. And people are like, oh, you're just deconditioned. I'm like, that is, that's not what's happening here (laughs) at all. Yeah. So there's not a lot in the way of support outside of like these little sort of, you know, um, grassroots sort of ad hoc support groups, which are a little bit wild westy. You know, I've talked about it before. I don't have anything. I mean, obviously you find things in common with people, but you know, there's people from different socioeconomic groups, people, different, different racial groups, you know, gender identities. And the thing we have in common mm-hmm. is that we're all very, very sick. It makes for a precarious safety net because there's people who come in and, you know, uh, that are sort of like, oh, you know, the, the Chinese did this to us. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, so there's a lot of like bad politics and there's no, there's nobody in wow. charge. You know, like these things aren't right, right. not monitored. There isn't like somebody that's sitting over here and being like, okay, this is going to be safe. This is like a safe place right. for you to wow. be. You know, so you don't know who you're going to run into when, and you're trying to be open hearted and kind because people are unwell. And I'm, you know, in the, in the sort of like what we call the first wave of people that got long COVID. So we're kind of like the elders of the community where you're trying to be welcoming and guide people through it. And you just never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth. So it's a really strange place to be. It's like, how do I negotiate? somebody being like what I think of as horrific, you know, or racist or, you know, cruel or whatever. How do I negotiate like my sort of strong desire to be like, you can't be here with like, you're going through a crisis that we are the only people that understand it. Right. And try to to manage that. What I think of as a duty of care to people when I'm, it doesn't get reciprocated, obviously, when they're just, you know, spouting off some nonsense, right. It could be a strange environment to be in. So sometimes it's more like work than comfort. Wow. You have to be very careful negotiating those spaces, especially as like a racialized woman, not always. It's a whole, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I couldn't even imagine what the dynamics for that would be. Like, I I mean, it's pretty, it sounds like it would be very challenging. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, and you know, I think this is actually a good point to say that, you know, um, the budget is going to be coming out this week and, you know, Sarah and I might have a little bit of an opportunity to, after the budget has been released to actually say something on the news about like what our thoughts might be. And I think maybe this might be an opportunity for us, Sarah, to throw out the, the idea about more support for long COVID and for, people who are experiencing this and honestly i think one of the other main things that we have to talk about is just disability and the invisibility aspect like i think we've seen challenges and related to the odsp and how that's not livable in terms of you know we, we we're seeing inflation the high in in terms of like the highest inflation we've seen in in years and we have people that are living off of less than two thousand dollars a month so i mean i think there's a lot of work and a lot of things that we should push in terms of um they're living on almost half of yeah that's it's that's it's horror a, that's yeah it's like a, it's 1170 dollars a month and it's like i don't know where oh my gosh going. that is crazy it's, it's 1169 dollars a month to pay your rent feed yourself you know and, and it's sort of like you know have your phone and people are like phone and i'm like yeah we, li- we live in a world where people need phones like it's not reasonable. that is a necessity yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I i i think having internet is a necessity like you got to decide between these things you can't how do you reach your how do you how do you reach your health care providers how do you go you know how do you get to appointments people are rationing their meds people are rationing you know they're they're going without food i'm sure if you're on twitter you see it all the time um yep. and 
and now with the expansion of made it is a very frightening landscape i was you know a, a, a lot of there's a lot of the people in in, in the sort of the main support group where I, I you know where the, the the zoom groups are are there's there's people all over the place there's like india sweden australia but there's a good chunk of people in canada a good chunk of people in the states and the majority i was trying to explain to people in the states about the state of of disability supports here and and made and because you know obviously people in that group some people are applying for disability um you know and they're sort of like oh yeah it's going to be like a six month wait for geared to income housing that's like six months it's 10 years here wow yeah and i'll just jump in for anybody that doesn't know made stands for medical assistance in dying for our our u.s listeners that uh, don't know that term there's so much work that needs to be done. In the States, they think of just Canada, we've got socialized medicine, we've got all this. And they just assumed that I was great, that everything is being taken care of. Like they, they literally got to a point where they were sort of like, can you send us some articles? Because they just couldn't They didn't believe, believe you. They didn't believe me. They do now. But it was really frustrating. I'm like, no, this is what is happening here. Here's what's going on where I live. Because like, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just do that? And I'm like, those things aren't available to me there is no rent geared to wow, income yeah. like 30 percent of your income here there's nothing and um yeah no so, 401ks here yeah so it's just it was you know it was it was and it was shocking to me too because when i was you know i hear about the american healthcare system and i'm not going to speak on that but just sort of the not ease because it's not easy but certainly easier than here that it was for people to access um financial support and housing support in the states than it is in 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 what you know these people think of as pinko canada it's like that's madness what? to me you know um, no that's for sure yeah it was uh it's 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 appalling and i spent uh, i spent some time today with they had the i don't know if you've seen the disability filibuster thing that's happening around like trying to stop the expansion of made to stop it including mental health issues which is mind-boggling and yep. then after that you know uh, mature minors i don't even know how it's on the table. I think the conversation on made for sure is it's that is a whole podcast episode in its in in itself. But I mean, I think just bringing light and and talking about, you know, what is happening in in relation to disability, what's happening in relation to long covid, these are huge conversations that we 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 need to have and we need to bring them to the political forefront, especially that, you know, we're we're coming up to an Ontario budget. And there's election time coming. Like there's a lot of things that we need to talk about, bringing out into the open to make sure that we're 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 putting out the things in healthcare that we need, and we're having those supports put in place. But one of the things that I want to ask you just just before you go, because we, we don't want to keep you too long, is if there's one thing, yeah, one thing that you would want people to know or a takeaway. What would you want them to know? I want people to do everything they can to protect themselves and each other. You know, to just do a real. A, a risk assessment that includes the possibility of disability, of long-term life-changing disability, because I know the majority mm -hmm. of people will survive. I know the majority of people, you know, uh, get COVID and not end up in the hospital, especially with, you know, vaccines are very helpful for that. I know that people's risk assessment is flawed because they just do not think that this is a possibility, that they go from being an active, go get them kind of person to being bedridden for 25 months. Um, and counting, mm -hmm. you know, that they yeah. could be one of those number. And those numbers are going up all the time. I meet people every day that are unaware of the real possibility of this. And again, I'm middle of the pack. You know, you might not end up where I am. 
that you could be better off than where I am or worse. I just, I want people to be careful and I want them to think about each other. That's so great, Tracy. I, I think I've learned so much talking to you. You gave so many specific examples of how COVID, long COVID has affected you. And you mentioned that you had spent all day preparing for this talk. Thank you so much for dedicating your time and limited energy towards us. We really appreciate it. And I think there's so much more we could talk about. But one thing I did want to mention is that you have a GoFundMe account, and we would really like to uh, amplify that. So maybe if you could tell our listeners about your GoFundMe account and um, how they can find you on Twitter. Uh, so Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Hazy. I've forgotten my Twitter handle. Is at Hazy Thompson. <laughs> Hold on, I think I might have. I think I might have it up. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> now we're madly looking it up. I can't remember. If there's an underscore. It's, you know, you're right. It's at it's at Hazy Thompson. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Go ahead so and say it again. It's Hazy Thompson. It's H A Z I E Thompson T H O M P S O N on Twitter. Um, my GoFundMe is pinned to my profile. I am trying to access some alternative care. Uh, you know, after a couple of years of this, you'll 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 try a lot of things. Not everything, but a few things that you know you wouldn't normally. <laughs> so I would like to be out of bed. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, there's a little bit about my story uh, on the GoFundMe. You know, if you're, my DMs are open for anybody who has any questions, if they feel like, you know, they would like to know something about long COVID or if they have any concerns about their own health or the health of someone they know, uh, I am happy to help direct them anything I think might be useful or answer any questions. Thank you so much, Tracy, for coming on today. Right. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Yeah, and- no, thank you so much, Tracy. Yeah, this I- was amazing. Yeah, is, yeah and I, we definitely are going to amplify your GoFundMe. And thank you for sharing that with us and sharing this story and coming on to the Greeners podcast to talk about your experience and uh, with long COVID. And we wish you the best. We're rooting for you. And we're going to continue to amplify and support you in any way that we can. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you're... You know, bringing us to a new audience and letting people know. Um, I really, I can't thank you enough. You guys are very excited. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Thank Is you that- so much.